fresh off his 2018 Navigator winning the prestigious Truck of the Year Award, the head of Lincoln talks about changes to the luxury brand and what he's doing to resurrect product, sales, and customer satisfaction of this once proud shining star in Ford's automotive universe. And now, here's your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week. You know, it was about eight years ago or so that the Ford Motor Company decided it really had to pull out all the stops and really revitalize the Lincoln brand. That's what today's show is all about because our special guest for today's show is Kumar Gaholtra, the president of the Lincoln Motor Company. Also joining us for today's discussion is Eric Noble from the Car Lab and the Art Center School of Design in Pasadena, and Jim Henry, a freelancer who mostly writes for Automotive News, but will write for others too, and great to have all three of you here. Great to be here. Great to be here, John. Kumar, let's talk Lincoln. I'm so intrigued by what you're doing with this brand. We'll get into the products in a moment here, but what seems to me that you're doing that is unlike any other luxury automaker is really concentrating on creating a much better experience for Lincoln owners. And not just making the cars better, but a whole bevy of different kinds of experiences. Sure. Would you touch on that a bit, what your strategy has been? Well, John, the strategy has been, first and foremost, getting to know our customers and getting to know them at a very visceral level, getting to know them at a very um, observational level. So we, we work with uh, trained anthropologists who are who are spending time with our customers on their commutes, on their grocery shopping runs, wherever our customers will allow us uh, to accompany them. And the insights you gain from those visits are, are very rich. So we get to know what is it that's really important to them. And a couple of themes keep coming up. Uh, luxury buyers are generally very successful people. They're very driven people. Time is the ultimate luxury for them. So we've been coming up with ideas of how do, how do we save them time? So one example is uh, getting your car serviced. Uh, it takes almost half of your day. You drive to the dealer, uh, and then you wait there, and then you come back. Um, with Lincoln, uh, if you make a, an appointment with us, a professionally um, uniformed driver will come to your place or, or your place of work or your kid's basketball game, whatever's convenient for you. Bring a Lincoln loaner leave the loaner with you, pick up your car, get it serviced, and bring it back, and do it all exactly on time. So the customer's life is not disrupted. So that's just one service we started last year. It's part of the warranty. We've done over 60,000 of these. And now we're building on that idea of how do we make our customers' lives more effortless, more frictionless. And we've got several pilots going, uh, going right now. And maybe we'll get into some more of those, but I'm, I'm so intrigued by what you just said there, of that you've got trained anthropologists literally living with some of your customers. Why are you doing this? I mean, th this just sounds like very unusual kind of market research. It is. You know, there are three or four kinds of market research, and it has its, each kind has its own place. Uh, there is the kind of check the box or, or rate something from a scale of 1 to 10, do it on the internet, do it fast. Uh, that kind of research, it's quick. Uh, you can get large sample sizes. Um, and it can answer certain questions, but it cannot give you deep insights. Uh, focus groups are another way of getting a slightly deeper insight. But in that research, you need really good moderators who can truly pull out the, the insights from the customers. 
in anthropological research, it takes more resource, takes more time. But what these trained people are doing, they're simply observing. They're observing where the car is creating annoyances for the customer. They're observing where the car is bringing moments of joy for the customer. These are things sometimes customers themselves don't know they're doing. And once you observe that and you get that insight, and then you can provide a solution for the customer, and it's, it's been working very well for us. Do you get it, uh, some of those ideas from other industries other than the car industry? Are, are there uh, you know, luxury yacht owner perks or uh, things like that that you've gotten ideas from? Yeah, good ideas come, obviously, you know, can come from a lot of places. Um, for example, uh, when we were designing our stores in China, uh, we had this great luxury because we were, we were starting the brand from scratch there. We were building new dealerships. We went out and researched other areas of luxury in China, not necessarily other automotive competitors. Uh, we researched how hospitality uh, was delivering uh, services in China. We looked at several fashion houses, and there were a lot of little nuances that Chinese customers are really tuned into and consider luxury that we wouldn't have found inside our own industry, and that's worked very well in China for us as well. Mm. How, are other, how about other car companies? Are there are some uh, perks of ownership but I don't think, I can't think of any examples that are quite so uh, inclusive as the Lincoln one. Yeah, I, you know, there, there were, there, for example, pickup and delivery for service. There are other automotive uh, companies that were doing it, but they were doing it very locally uh, and generally at a dealership level. Um, but we felt this was such an important part of the overall Lincoln experience. Uh, so we went national with it. So at the moment, we're the only uh, OEM that's providing this uh, service uh, at a national level uh, for everybody who purchased a 19, uh, 2017 or newer Lincoln. Mm -hmm. and, so, and that's just the beginning. We're experimenting with a lot of other, other ideas as well. Um, it's a good idea putting those drivers in a uniform. Yeah. I think maybe I'm a victim of uh, uniform marketing, but... Uh, I know they pitch it that way, that uh, you really trust somebody who's in a uniform. Well, um, trust is a big part of it, uh, and it is an overall part of the, the Lincoln brand experience, so uh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Kamara, how far can you take the brand? Um, all of these services are very innovative um, and or very well executed, and um, you guys are to be commended for them. How far do you think you can take the brand? You're at about 5% share of the, of the U.S. luxury market today. You've experienced a, a, a rapid growth in China coming from zero, which is, which is commendable. How far can you take the brand on those sorts of approaches, um, the experiential approach versus the product approach? Um, first of all, I would say the experiential approach is inclusive of product and non-product experiences. So when we're designing cars, we're paying a lot of attention to how the customer should experience the car. You know, what should the car do as you approach it? What should the seats be like? What should the sound system be like? Design that experience first and then design the technology and the, the feature around those experiences uh, in the car. Outside the car, um, 
all of the, the both in luxury and non-luxury, the marketplace is changing very rapidly. Um, all of our lives are becoming more effortless. Uh, for example, Amazon has taken away all the burden of mundane shopping. You know, you don't, you don't shop for paper towels anymore, it just shows up kind of a thing. Um, so we don't, we, don't show, we don't stand in lines anymore to buy concert tickets. I'm dating myself, I used to have to do that, right? So now StubHub, it just, the ticket gets delivered straight to your, your mobile phone. So as life is becoming effortless, uh, one industry that I feel has lagged behind is ours, so we are making a real effort to make the shopping process effortless, the buying process effortless, the servicing process effortless, and even in the neighboring areas of travel process effortless for our customers. Um, how will all this add up to the success of the brand? Uh, remains to be seen, but uh, early indicators are we've got great momentum, as you mentioned. We've outpaced the industry in the U.S. every year since 2014. Uh, in China, we've gone from no presence to you know, over 50,000 vehicles this year. Uh, and, and all of these people who are experiencing our vehicles and experiencing these services are becoming great advocates for our brand. They're, they're talking about it on their social feeds. Uh, they are recommending the brand to their friends and family. Their satisfaction numbers are in the 90s. So I think the upside potential is huge for us. I can't put a number on it, but Kumar, it's, it's really big. Everything that you're doing for your customers sounds great. You'll, you'll come and pick up the car and get it serviced. If you need a chauffeur and have that person go run errands, you'll do that for them. You're working on other things. As a Lincoln owner, which I'm not, I would be thrilled by this. If I was a Ford shareholder, which I'm not, I'm not so sure I'd be sold on it. How can you justify to shareholders or even the Ford Motor Company board that what you're doing is really paying off? Well, uh, there are clear metrics uh, for success. Volume is obviously one. Uh, and as we've, we said, we've grown our volume substantially, both here uh, and in China. Uh, that brings us scale, that helps with costs, that helps with all kinds of scale synergies. Secondly, a uh, really key uh, point is uh, revenue per car. Are we closing the gap between our revenue and our competitors, uh, especially the Germans? So with all of our new products as we've launched, uh, our revenue per car has increased substantially. And that's increased because we're offering something very unique to our customers, and that's where the business case comes in, and it's been a good business case for us. Mm -hmm. I, I was going to ask too. There, are, I trust that there are clever ways that you can, uh, that maybe it's not as expensive as it sounds. If uh, if it's a zero sum game, maybe you're taking some uh, taking money out of the Super Bowl advertising budget and putting it into uh, concierge services, uh, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know uh, some of the partnerships that you're in. They were, they're probably contributing. So uh, maybe it's not as expensive as it sounds. Would would that be fair? It's certainly cheaper than platforms. <laughs> <laughs> well, which um, which so far he's not getting. <laughs> well, look the the, the partnerships. There, there's certain services with partnerships, as you said. There's shared partners is beneficial uh, to both of us, to us and the partner. Clear's one of them. 
uh, clears uh, those who may not be familiar is a is a service that helps you get through the airport security line very very quickly and again time is very important to our consumers so for in 2018 uh, for all new Lincoln buyers we'll be offering a six-month free clear membership and that's something that's done in partnership with them it's a benefit for clear it's a benefit for our consumers there are other services that could actually be pretty good business case on their own so the the personal driver is a paid service um, so customers pay a per hour fee and we're right now in a pilot uh, in, in two pilot we're piloting that in two cities and we're expanding to a third city soon and we're trying the the price elasticity what will the market bear will it be profitable for us looks like it can be uh, and that's uh, that will be a self-sustaining business in itself where is there another is there somebody who already has a business like that that you've been able to go to school on uh, is something you're inventing so the the personal driver one uh, I, I'm not familiar with anybody else doing it we're doing it with a a partner company called red in uh, oh right red cap I'm sorry uh, red cap in Miami and and the key insight there was you know the customers use these services the luxury customer use these services today but there are some key points of disappointment or or discomfort in that experience and a lot of it has to do with the the condition of the car that shows up when they when they uh, use a service from another company the unique thing we're offering is customers are very comfortable with their own car they know how clean it is they know they have their own settings in the car they have children child's uh, seats in the car so you don't have to move them so if you need that service rather than sending a car we'll send a driver uh, to you who can you know drive you while you're out on town uh, or while you're out on town he can get the car washed get the car gassed uh, pick up your your laundry if you need him to or her to so it is a very unique service that I don't believe anybody else is offering but again it's it's making our customers life just a little bit effortless uh, in that moment are, are, are these new services a way to retain Lincoln buyers and keep them coming back for that product or are they a business unto themselves for which you're going to at some point start counting the bottom line it's a it's a mixture of three things it is uh, creating an experience for our customers that then nurtures loyalty okay um, to keep them buying the to product. keep them buying the product uh, according to the IHS uh, market study uh, that was released just a few weeks ago, uh, Lincoln is now number one in the uh, luxury market uh, for loyalty, uh, which is fantastic. The JD Power uh, Sales Satisfaction Index just came out about two weeks ago. Lincoln is number one in sales satisfaction experience. So all of those elements keep bringing the, the customer back. So that's obviously one uh, big reason uh, why this is so important to our business. Secondly, like I mentioned, some of these will be uh, revenue generating, profit generating, small businesses on, uh, um, uh, small businesses on their own, but at the same time very aligned with the Lincoln brand vision and delivering that warm human effortless experience so it does both it it gives us profit potential plus it builds our brand and then the, the holistically all of that then 
helps us uh, command better luxury revenues. Jim Hackett's um, previous history in the furniture industry had him also trying to take that traditional business model and look at it from the service side as a way to drive product. Um, now that he's your boss, yeah. you've already been doing that. Obviously, you've just been promoted. You're still in charge of, of Lincoln, but you've had a promotion under Hackett. Um, do you and he talk about the development of those services as a way to both increase market share mm -hmm. and, and increase transaction price? Right now, Lincoln still has a long climb to go on transaction price. Right. Um, we've, like I mentioned, we've been closing the gap. First of all, Jim and I and Jim Farley and, and other senior leadership in the company have very engaged, engaging and engaged discussions about that specific uh, subject of how do we create total experiences, not just the car or not just a particular service? How, how do we create that total ecosystem? Uh, so that's very much a part of Lincoln. It's uh, becoming very much a part of the rest of the company as we develop mobility services, as we develop digital services. Um, in terms of closing transaction prices, with every new product, we've been taking step function closures uh, to the average segment price. So Continental has, ever since we launched it, uh, has been doing very well against its, uh, its unique segment. Uh, the Navigator, I have no doubt, is going to transact right in the heart of its segment. And as we launched uh, the, the freshening on MKZ in 2017, that saw a substantial jump in its segment, uh, in its transaction price. So I, I agree with you. We still have more work to do on this journey to, to command better revenues. Uh, but with every product, it's getting better. Kumar, it seems that every other single luxury brand, automotive luxury brand, has decided to increase its transaction prices by coming out with performance models. Performance brands, yeah. there's R, there's S, there's V, there's AMG, there's M, they all have it. Lincoln does not. It doesn't sound like you're going to go that route either. We're not. Um, the reason is, we are very comfortable in our skin. We're, we know what we stand for, we know who we are. And Lincoln Heritage and the Lincoln brand has always stood for elegance, it's uh, stood for comfort, uh, providing great uh, experiences for our customers, and that's what we're focused on. Now, that doesn't mean we make slow cars. I mean, the MKZ has a 400 horsepower, 400 pound-foot torque engine, that is it delight to drive, right? Uh, same with the Continental. The, uh, the powertrain in the Navigator, 450 horsepower, absolutely amazing. Uh, so these are all very fun to drive cars, but we are very tuned into what our customers need. Uh, a lot of our customers are not the, the kind of customer who's gonna go wide open throttle the moment turns, uh, the light turns green. Uh, but they want power when they need it. Uh, they want effortless power. They want smooth power. So how we deliver the power is very important to us. So we're, we're making fun cars, but don't, don't expect a RS version of uh, Lincoln anytime soon. Okay, one other uh, question along those lines too. Product-wise, uh, your German competitors seem to have a model for every little niche under the sun. They have 17, 18, 19 models in their lineup. 
what do you think is the, the proper one for Lincoln? And in fact, we should mention we're here in Los Angeles for the unveil of the new Lincoln Nautilus. That's and right. so uh, how big does the Lincoln lineup have to be? Well, um, we are very focused on core segments. Uh, the core segments are small utility, medium utility, large utility. So we've got three SUVs there. We've got a mid-sized sedan, and we've got the Continental, the, the large sedan. With that, we believe we've got pretty good coverage of overall market. Lincoln will, is not going to have 18 different models. We, we don't feel that's necessary. We're pretty tuned into where our customers' needs are. Is there, is there room for a couple more? Absolutely. Uh, and we are working on filling those holes in the portfolio. But again, those are going to be mainstream, substantial volume kind of products and not niche products at all. I think he just said he's going to have a three-row CUV. Did you hear that? <laughs> Stay tuned. <laughs> well... I can't speak of, uh, <laughs> of future products. Yeah. I want to come back, talk to John again when I have to reveal. Yeah. Okay, well, let's stick for product with the moment. Uh, Lincoln, eight years ago, or maybe a little bit longer, started using letters for the names of its cars. That's right. There was the MKS and the Very MKZ. Very unfortunately. And, and now you're going back to names. You've got the Navigator. You've got the That's Continental. Right. Now the Nautilus. Talk a little bit about the change in the naming of your cars. Well... At this moment in the Lincoln journey, we feel that the consumers really make a much warmer emotional connection to a name uh, than our previous nomenclature. So we've, we've decided to change all of our vehicles to names that people can, uh, can make a connection with. And we've got a rich history of really cool names. You've Amen. Got, Amen. We, we've got Navigator, we've got the Continental. And, and when the Continental was launched, I mean, it was, it, was, it was such a warm reception to that name and that vehicle. Uh, so we're, we're changing the MKX to Nautilus, uh, which stays in that same family because Nautilus comes from the, the root is uh, uh, Latin means uh, it's Nautis, which means uh, a sailor. So Navigator, Nautilus, Continental. Uh, and we will be renaming the, the rest of the vehicle in our portfolio as well. Mm -hmm. How's your uh, the geographic uh, representation in the U.S.? Are, are you in sort of the luxury import, so-called smile, you know, both coasts and the Sun Belt, uh, like other luxury brands? Or in in terms of share? Yeah, just yeah. where your where is your footprint? I guess. So we, in terms of share, we do better in the Midwest, Southeast, and the center of the, the country. Mm. Uh, our share is lower on the coasts, both on East Coast and West Coast. The good news is the growth we are seeing is coming primarily from the coast. So we're already strong in the middle, and we're growing uh, both on the East Coast and the West Coast. Mm -hmm. are, are there any... Uh to the extent you can say, are there any sort of battleground regions where you're trying to up that, with the coasts, I guess? The coasts <laughs> and the, the luxury market is uh, very, very um, focused on certain cities. So, for example, top 11 cities, I think, account for 50% of the luxury market. It's cities like New York, L.A., Dallas, Chicago, Atlanta. Uh, so we're we are very focused on on, on those cities because that's where the luxury customers are. Mm -hmm. 
you're strong in China, growing strong there. Any plans to go elsewhere in the world? I mean, you're what, primarily U.S., Canada, and China right now, is that right? That and uh, Mexico and uh, South Korea. Actually, we have decent presence in South Korea. Uh, and uh, uh, Middle East, countries like Dubai, uh, you know, uh, vehicles like Continental and the Navigator are very well received in UAE and Saudi Arabia, all over the Middle East. Um, so we're very focused on U.S. and China. Uh, we're also trying to grow in those other countries that I mentioned. No real plans to go anywhere else right now because uh, we, we need to remain focused on, on U.S. and China growth. Mm -hmm. China is going to be it probably already is the world's largest uh, uh, luxury industry. It, it was going to surpass U.S. either this year or next year. And in the next five to ten years, at the rate that market is growing, it's going to be substantially bigger than any other luxury market. Uh, that's one of the reasons we're so focused on China. Mm -hmm. And do you see incremental volume, which is coming rapidly for you, out of China? as a bridge to get you to something like, you know, 300,000 units overall? I mean, Cadillac's a few years ahead of you yeah. in China, and Cadillac uh, very lately has seen the Chinese market just about overtake North America. The question is, is that part of a long-term strategy? And, are you, and are, are you comfortable if Lincoln became a predominantly Chinese brand? And we're down which, to the last minute, so we'll need a which, quick which, answer Which Cadillac may. Well, uh, if that's where the market is, uh, and it is going to be, it's already big and it's about to get much bigger, uh, it is, that is the reason China is such a key part of our strategy. Uh, will, it, will we sell more vehicles in China versus U.S.? Remains to be seen because we're growing in both countries right now. It could happen in two years by your, China, by your growth. It's, it is growing very rapidly, but that doesn't take anything away from U.S. We're fundamentally... A, a, an iconic American brand, and that's how we're seeing in China as well. Uh, but where the volume comes from is where the marketplace is, and, and the marketplace in China is growing very rapidly. And with that, we will have to uh, wrap it up. But Kumar Gaholtra, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having very me. Very interesting what you're doing at Lincoln. And uh, Eric Noble and Jim Henry want to thank the two of you as well. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah.